We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world 8 bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner's all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match, and programming was the fuse, as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Just listening to Sense Delete by Tony Longworth. More of that on the way out. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good, Steve. How about you? I mean, it's pretty good, I guess. How many weeks are we into this quarantine? 11, 10? Like 10 or something. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. this will be our 10th episode in a row, I think, if we actually get this done for next week. I In the... In the 10 weeks, I've broken two 6502 processors. Oh, you have. How did yeah. you do that? Well, one of them, I got a pin bent um, pulling it in and out, and then the pin broke off, and I don't know how to add a new pin to it. It's possible, but I would burn my hand with the soldering gun if I really tried it. The other one, I was trying to... Mr. Sp- Valens would not like that. No. No, I wouldn't. Um, so... Um, the other one was, so I bent that pin, so I said, oh, I have a 65XE that has the same chip on it. So I went to get it, and to get it, you have to unsolder it from the board, and this thing has been soldered onto a board for a long time. So I went through the normal desoldering procedure, which is like you, you heat it up and you use this little tool to suck the solder out of the hole. Uh, it sounds weird, but that's what you do. And um, it looked good, and I tried to pry the the chip off the board, and I guess something in the middle of it was still holding it on somehow, and it broke in half. So then I have no 6502 processors to use, but then I scavenged one that looked like it would work out of a 7800 that was that was socketed, so it's easy to pull in and out. And I put it in the 800XL, and it just gives me a green screen. So I don't know if that processor's been... Something's been sure wrong. that's the same processor? I looked at the- it. I looked at it. It's a Sally 65CO2. Should be the same, but you know, Atari might have done something special on the 8-bit ones. That, like it's the same processor. But and it looks the same. The chip has got different markings on it, but they all do. But in essence, it's the same number when you get down to it. And um, but it it may be clocked at different speed. I don't know what it is, but I also have put this ultimate one megabyte into it. 
And when you do that, you have to solder wires to where the chip sits or solder them on four other places on the board, depending on where these, where, where the, um, the traces on the board go. And I, you know, like I, looking at that is like looking at Greek to me. So, um, so what are you doing about it? Didn't you tell me you're going to hire someone? So, uh, <laughs> I called, uh, I emailed 8BitFix and he emailed me back yesterday and said, send me a picture of your power supply for some reason. And then also I emailed a picture of the board and I said, look, I'll either buy the 800 XL you have off off you. He has one for sale on his site for $175 and give you, send you this, this ultimate one megabyte, have you put it in and send it back to me. Or um, I'll buy the 600 XL that you have on there, send this to you, and you can upgrade the 600 XL. It's cheaper. Or help me get this to work, and I'll buy something else from you. Like I, I, or I'll pay you to fix this for me. I'll set it all up and have you fix it. So and he sent me back an email yesterday, and we're, we're, we're negotiating it. Anyway. Oh, that's cool. Who is 8BitFix? His name is Paul Westfall. Uh, name of a guy who used to – it's not the same guy, but it's the name of a guy who used to coach the Lakers, and he coached the um, – the LMU team that a Hank Gathers on it when Hank Gathers died, oh, but wow. this isn't the same guy. But Paul, it could be a son or something like that. But Paul Westfall is the name of him. He he runs Eight Bit Fix up in, uh, it's in the in Portland, I think. Yes. Oh, cool. So, all right, that that's cool. I've got no stories like that, but I but we do have some updates about our show, about Into the Vertical Blank. So. Um, did you notice, Jeff, that we have a new branding design? Oh, I love it. Do you know where that came from? Um, I do know where it came from, Steve. It came from... It came from Daryl Litz, Jeff. Yeah. We hired Daryl Litz, one of, our, one of the podcast listeners, to help us. Um, he's a graphic designer, and he has helped us immensely turn our um, old design into a new modern look. Um, and now we're taking that same design and we're building a brand new website into the verticalblank.com that will have a ton of content on it because we do a lot of videos too that people don't see uh, reviews and stuff and just kind of you know things that are that, that are smaller ideas I guess and we've got games and other writing and stuff and things like that up on the web website the homebrew we're working on so um, it'll be nice to transform from the old 8bitrocket.com to into the verticalblank.com. But if you type in 8bitrocket.com, it will, it will resolve there at some point. Sure. Right? It doesn't right now, but it will. Yeah. So um, as well, we got a new review on iTunes. No. Yeah. So it's been the first one in a while, but it's nice. Um, it's from someone called Retro Alias. Uh, here's what they say. Retro Alias. Great retro gaming podcast. Editor's note. You can't. can't uh, I can't argue with that. Okay. Uh, great retro gaming podcast. As the television junker back in the day, this is one of the best Atari-specific gaming podcasts around. Their stories and great interviews are unmatched. I hope they'll be around for many years to come. We'll be too. I agree. I like that one. Thank That's you. One. Thank you, Retro Alias. That's really cool. Uh, we appreciate any reviews. It's very nice. Um, you know, follows on YouTube, reviews, anything like that. It's cool. Gives us a little, little up excitement. Up to 90 subscribers on our YouTube channel. That's cool. <laughs> we made I mean, it to 100. I it's mean, hard I'm, to get people. You know, I would, I'll tell you one thing. We had, I have a, a videos up on 8-Bit Rocket that have 4,000 views or something like that. Of like, just I left, I left a video up there of me playing uh, 
Commando on the Atari 8-bit like 10 years ago. And it's got like 4,000 views, but only 40 subscribers. Like, normally when I find a site that has any content that I like, I like the video and I subscribe to the channel hoping more will show up. I'm not like most people, I guess. I, I think, Jeff, the difference between how YouTube works now and how it worked when we were doing videos for 8bitrocket.com is different. I think that it's more about that algorithms are more about how you, how many, how often you post, how regularly you post. It is more about the the ads you put at the end and the beginning and the links through and all that stuff that we don't do, you know, um, because we don't, you know, that's not really our goal. I was going to say it's great to get reviews. It's great to get upticks and stuff like that. Um, it's not going to, you know, whether they come or not, it's not going to stop us from doing our stuff because we just like to do it. So. Right, right. I mean, the goal at some point is, is you know, have people enjoy what we do um, and be engaged by it. But the goal isn't engagement, if you know what I mean. Anyway. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, the, it would be great to, and the goal is not to make money through engagement. The goal is to have people enjoy. In, the goal yeah. is to explore this topic of the vertical blank. Yes and understand what it means and in the meantime do things like get some more great interviews speaking um, of that i yeah. had an interview coming up i did it today and it's going to come up uh you know later the next week or something like that with john williams who it was a program he programmed jet boot jack on the atari 8-bit and then created a couple other utilities for the Atari. bit one of them was like something that made the cassette drive actually work like a real computer cassette driver you had it where it had an actual directory and stuff like that where because um, the Atari one was not nearly as good I as heard about that yeah but also in between you know um, he he made he he did Atari stuff and he loved the 800 um, and then the the um, the bottom kind of fell out of the market for the 800 he was in the UK so then he um, he started making games for the Commodore 64 and the Commodore 16 and one little caveat is he loved the 800 so much, he programmed those games on the Atari 800. And through, he had a little joystick port thing that would allow him to transfer the code over to the Commodore 64 and the, and the C16. Um, <laughs> That's cool. And then lately, he's been putting up new versions. He went and found all of his discs, and he's put up new versions of all of his games that are, and he translated them all to work on the 5200. Wow. Yeah, so he's got like four great games. They all use like, they're incredibly colorful. They all use like every the like display list interrupts to change out the five colors and the character modes. And it's just it's beautiful looking. Like every one of his games is are beautiful. And he's all I yeah, can't I can't wait. draw. I'm all it doesn't matter anyway. Go on. Yeah, you're saying you can't. Well, I say I, I can't wait to hear the interview. That's going to be good. So that's going to come up next week, probably right. Mm -hmm. Unless we go by unless we go biweekly, and I'm not sure yet. I need to edit it, and I want to get a video made of all of his games to put up with it, because um, I want to make sure that we have content like that that goes yeah, along with, cool. with it. That's actually a good idea. I think that you know we, that would have been really useful for um, when we did uh, uh, Dan Kitchen. Yeah, have well, a, a we, video we of his stuff. We need to get. We know? just need to be more on the ball with that. Also, one thing, he it, did it, but make... that may mean that we need to go biweekly because there's too much content to create in one right. week. Oh, you're things. right. One else thing about John Williams is um, I found the reason I found him was I had heard his name before and I didn't know who he was, but I saw I made some games, right? And he had made new games. I was looking through an issue of ST Action looking for the next company we wanted to profile, right? Mm 
and uh-huh. I find John Williams. I'm like, wait a minute, is that the same guy? And I look it up, and he had made a game for the ST. He didn't even remember making the game for the ST. Really? <laughs> he made it for the ST and the Amiga, and when I described, oh, yeah, he remembered it. Yeah, he, and uh, I sent him a, a, a vi- copies of the – he doesn't even he can't find the magazine anywhere. He can't find the interview that he did, but I sent him copies of the uh, – that I took photocopies of it. It's not up on the internet anywhere. Um, issue um, – ST Action Issue – um, 28 August 1990. So we were look, you were looking through a paper copy of SD Action. Yes. yes. And discovered think, discovered something that's not on the internet anywhere. Basically, yeah. That's pretty and, cool. Um, anyway, he, his game is really cool. Um, and then he and um, he, he does a good job. He he's uh, it just talking to people like that makes you inspire to do some programming on the machines. Basically. So I have some news and notes for you, Jeff. Want to hear are, them? Yeah. Sure. Well, first, uh, the beginning of this week, Evercade released news about their next cartridge, and it's going it's for the Lynx. It's their second Lynx cartridge, and it is going to have eight games on it, and they are all the original games made by Epic. So the games are California Games, Chips Challenge, Checkered Flag, Todd's Adventures in Slime World. Electrocop, Gates of Xenicon, and Zolar Mercenary. That's like a murderer's row. Oh my lord. Yes. I, I better pre-order one of those things. Where do I pre-order it? What's the link? Well, um, I don't know. You can pre-order from Amazon. The the richer, the um, the Evercade, you can pre-order from Amazon. These cartridges aren't available yet, but they will be available. It's not available yet. When does Evercade come out? It was supposed to be out now, but they got their production got pushed back because of this thing that's going on. Um, so when that happens, when I saw that that they had um, got the license for those Epics games, I realized that you know there's some oddities in Atari Corp and and what they actually own, and we know that, right? We know there's oddities. Uh, we still aren't sure about Food Fight and, and what its um, what its licensing is, uh, but obviously Atari. They couldn't. I don't know if they got these licenses from Atari. I think they had to go to someone at Epics to get permission to put these games out because it's a very suspect list, and right. and we've never seen these games have not come out on any Atari collection, you know, from from the new Atari. Um, anyway, what was interesting to me is I'm like, well, you know what? These guys have a line on licensing this stuff. They're licensing all sorts of properties. So I emailed them because I looked at their Namco collections. And I saw that their Namco collections both don't have my current obsession of why it doesn't exist is Bosconian. Neither one has Bosconian on it. I'm like, oh, what is this? Okay, Bosconian is missing again. So I even, by the way, went to Atari Age and put up a question asking where's Bosconian on Namco collections. And I listed all the ones that it's not on, but I did never got an answer. So I emailed them about that and I asked them about Food Fight and they actually responded to me. And here's what they said. I also told, told them I liked the Lynx thing. They said, glad you like the product. The Lynx games play really nicely, and we're excited to get them into people's hands. Then, Bosconian is certainly not buried with a happy face, smiley Ooh. face afterwards, Ooh. meaning it's probably coming out. I read coming out on the next Namco collection, maybe. Then they said, on Food Fight, we need to find out what Atari has the rights for. So again, right there, they haven't always haven't talked to Atari about Food Fight, but it would be a cool game to be on there, on their little handheld. I am under the impression that Atari only owns the rights to seven eight hundred Food Fight. 
probably right about that. I remember reading through a list of properties they owned, and 700 Food Fight was one of them. Well, I thought Quantum was on that list, though, and Quantum is on that list of things that they own, and that's not a 700 game. That's a GCC game. So I yes. think it's still a question. But they, I don't think they own the, the rights to Food Fight Arcade. I, think I don't that, think we know anything. Oh, I don't think we know. We don't, yeah, right. We don't know anything about what they own. And I think here's the problem with this. And I went over this at work, too. So there's a bunch of DOS games that came out in the late 90s for Hell Properties. Um, there's, there's a Man one. Um, there's a couple others. They're interesting games that came out of the UK, right? They're all properties and they're DOS games. And my question was, if we could get a DOS emulator, why couldn't we make a little little, little emulated game system with those games on it, right? So going to legal, nobody has any idea. The, the legal documents don't exist from back then. The, the legal, there's, no one knows who the agreements are. The companies that built them are out of business. Anyone who existed back then who would have made the legal agreements it, you know, can't be found. No one actually knows who owns what. Um, and this is, not, this is not just Mattel. This is, this is a general thing. These licensed games are, most of them, are in, are in legal limbo where the license expired the the company who owns the property may own the property but they don't own the code the people own the code but they don't own the property and it all just sort of sits out there in limbo this is the type of thing where like there are going to be hundreds and hundreds of games and you know if you think about it like i do they're pieces of their 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 artwork and you know and and people's blood, sweat and tears that were created that will never be seen again because of legal implications of even showing them to people and wow. it's really sad i mean it's kind of like whenever i see atari 2600 collection like whenever we you know one of the flashbacks come comes out you know what bothers me about those collections is they miss all the license games you know the in the license games you know after like 1980 the license games were the most important thing that came out on the 2600 so what you get is really a a, a best of of what came out in the 70s and and there are a few things, but like, what is the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, you know, historically without Pac Man or ET or Miss Pac Man right. or Defender or Space Invaders or Vanguard or the later you know, Stargate that came out that was I'll, better than Defender? Yeah, I mean, and and every once in a while they'll like they'll do a deal with a license one of them or two of them. I'm like, no, no, I want to see them all. Like, like that's the thing. Like, you miss those licenses because it's this is kind of shovelware that actually it's even worse than you're saying uh-huh go ahead because they did license space invaders but they couldn't license the atari cartridge of space invaders i know it was the, the it space was invaders the, they made was a really nice looking space invaders built with nes on a chip but it wasn't atari 2600 space invaders <laughs> So, yeah, I, it's it's crazy. Like like those without those licenses, any of those flashbacks or whatever do a historical disservice to uh, to you know game pres- preservation and vintage computing and all that stuff. That's why it's so great to see these Ever- Evercade guys who are going and actually purchasing the licenses. Right, they're for real. They're getting the, the licenses. There's one thing though. Um, if you when you dig into the actual full. Uh, catalog for Activision, 
you you do get all of those, which is great. And Activision catalog, when you the deep catalog that includes a magic and everything now, you when those come out, you have the best of the VCS that wasn't the Atari um, licensed games. Sure, because Chopper Command is the best version of um, of Defender. You know, you get the new these newer games that that Ferg's been doing that are just awesome that I never played, a Frostbite and things like that. It's like, well, these are bitching. But what you do see is when GCC starts and those guys are freaking brilliant. Um, they they build you know like thirty or forty. I don't know exactly how many it was, but I mean there's 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 a ton of licensed games for the twenty six hundred they built that are amazing. I mean, amazing in twenty six hundred terms. Well, we will get that because there will be another interview coming up, don't we, Steve? Yeah, yeah. So so we have scheduled an interview with Steve Golson from GCC. He's the inventor of Ms. Pac-Man, and I cannot wait to talk to him about Ms. Pac-Man. I'm gonna, I might even call it uh, interview with Mr. Ms. Pac-Man. I think that's – I still think that that's a, that's a good one, Mr. Mr. Ms. Pac-Man. That's Maybe awesome. I only well, think Steve Golson, Mr. Ms. Pac-Man. Yeah, yeah, Steve Golson, Mr. Ms. Pac-Man. So hopefully we'll get that on uh, you know next week. So anyway, I played the new Atari game from the new Atari called Pong Quest. And I told you I was a little little interested in this because it looks similar to something that I had submitted to them a long time ago. It's not. I mean, I don't know. There may be parts that are, but I didn't get through the whole thing. But it is super cute. You know, you play Pong. You play a lot of Pong. And you, you, they, they have different balls that you send to do diff, different things, and you earn balls, and you have an inventory, and you're you're kind of going around a little maze, and it's 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 kind of a fun little game, you know, it's it's a little RPG. I said it's not really an RPG; it's more like an action adventure game. The little quest. What's funny is there's a character in it called King Pong, and nah. um, he looks like a little bit like Nolan Bush. Bushnell. And so, and, and you know, there was that article. It's one of the first articles about Atari King from Pong. the early 70s called King Pong. And it features Nolan Bush, Bushnell as, you know, obviously because he's, you know, ran Atari. And it's nice to see that the people who made this either inadvertently or on purpose salute that and the, the legacy of Pong and, and Nolan Bushnell. So I think that's really cool. The company that made it is called Checkered Inc. They seem to know their retro games. You know, Atari now has two decent games. They've got that Missile Command Recharge and they've got Pong Quest. Both seem to be on the right side of Retro Remake. And it's cool because, you know, in the past they have not done a very good job with this. Like the Yars Revenge and the, that they did or the, the Star Raiders, Haunted House. They just, none of them felt right. And I don't know how to explain it. But these do. They're, they're pretty cool. You know what? I was... I. One thing you you when you told me about that the Pong game you know when you know there's have the mini games in the middle of it, it reminded me of something. Just take back to a couple minutes ago, I forgot I didn't have a lot of time. I had one hour with John Williams. He his game, Paramax, is for the ST, which I'm going to do a video of. Maybe up by the time we well by the video by the time the interview comes up, his game is is um, it's a little bit like I would call it um, Seamus, but on the ST. Oh, cool. But, on different levels, you're trying to get to the top of this pyramid, and you go through rooms and levels, you got to figure out the secret, and on some of the levels, you get to play Breakout and Centipede and other mini-games. Oh, that's cool. I like that. So that's it. This is sort of the interesting thing. I forgot to ask him about that. He may not even remember, so I may have to remind him. Um, but um, but anyway, so that's, that's uh, just kind of, hey, bring it around in a circle. 
another another note I have here is on a couple new podcasts that have come out recently. So Ferg on the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast did a episode on Frostbite, and he actually had uh, like a like a prototype that they reviewed as well, which is pretty cool. And then he got an interview with Steve Cartwright from Activision. He programmed it and a bunch of other games. And it's a great interview. Cartwright is a bit like Dan Kitchen in that his career lasted a long time after Activision. He even went to Glue Mobile. He even worked with um, Scott Orr. So you know Scott Orr who worked on Madden, who was, I believe Scott Orr was the guy who started GameStar and did GameStar Baseball and then went on to do those other sports games. I believe he went to Glue Mobile. Yeah, he went to Glue Mobile and did a bunch of mobile games. And he went back. Um, it's great. I don't want to ruin it. It's a great. It's a great interview. Ferg did a fantastic job with that one. But Steve Cartwright's cool, and it's great to hear him. You know, and at the end, Ferg even kind of gets him interested in like maybe making homebrew again. Exactly, um, it's pretty cool. Here. And then on the Antic podcast, Kay Savitz had an interview with Tracy Cullinan. Well. Not exactly with Tracy Cullinan. Tracy Cullinan was one of those Atari Youth Advisory Board people. And it's just a super heartbreaking episode. It is. I know. It's, it's fantastic. So anyone who, you know, if you want to hear an amazing story, go listen to that interview. Kay did an amazing job with that one. Uh, yeah, that one was really sad, but also good at the same time because... Oh, it's great. Yeah, it was... It's a great story. I mean, it's just... It, it's almost a This American Life-esque story. That, it is uh, a This American Life-esque story. A, a lot of stuff that uh, that uh, that Kay does is like that. It, um, very, very interesting. Did you um, see his um, text adventure that he put okay, out? So, so, yeah, I'm going to... Let me go through some of the other... Do you want to go through some other okay. podcasts? Because I have a bunch of go ones ahead. to talk about. So on that same note, the 1200XL podcast just came out with a... Um, these guys do the Amigos Makeup podcast. They they do on 1200XL. They've had one on Kangaroo. Um, I haven't had time to listen to it yet, but I'm excited about that. Atari Bytes just did Beam Rider and he and Sequest. But Beam Rider, he wasn't all that impressed with. But I like Beam Rider a lot. There's been brand new ones from Eaten by a Group. They did one on Planetfall, and he also did his own one. Tell, tell us a little bit about his own um, adventure game that he made, Steve. It was hilarious. Apparently, he made, I think it's made in basic. It's a game he made in like 1987. It's a little text adventure. It lists some text out and you type in commands. I don't know if it was supposed to be on a BBS or if it simulates being on a BBS because um, the way the text scrolls. But it's, it's you know, it reminded me a little bit of like the Stanley Parable. It, it, it's really clever. So I think you should just, I, I, it's on archive. I think it's archive.org. He put it up. Maybe we can find you, a link to it in the show. You can notes. play his game, yeah, for the show. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was tickled by it. If we, if I'm allowed to say that, you're allowed to say that. Um, let me see um, other ones that I've been. So obviously, you, we went through the um, the Ferg one. There's one other one that. Oh, the uh, the Intellivisionaries finally came out with a new episode. Oh, cool! <laughs> and I like those guys. It's funny. They just came out with it, and um, it, this one includes the guys that are working on the Amico and everything and then right. an interview with a guy who works on the Amico and it's just a, a brilliant couple hours. Like every, now they come out like every three or four months, but it's like a three hour podcast. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I can't wait. I like that podcast a lot. Did you know, did you know that Scott Orr for the Atari 800 computers came out with three games, GameStar Baseball. Star I love it. Football. And something called on-track racing, which is, it's like one of those overhead, on-the-same-screen little track racing games. I've never played this before. 
Oh, you got to, I think it's up for a video, Jeff. You gotta it's make up a for video. a video. I'm just going to do the games video. of Scott Orr. I, I have all kinds, I have a backlog of videos to make. One of them is going to be the games of, of the Star League games because this game looks neat. I got to try it out. So what about the new 2600 homebrew news, Jeff? Well, the one game that I know about for the most part that I'm incredibly excited about is on a zero-page homebrew. There's an interview up right now in a gameplay session of Robotron for the 2600 with John Shampoo, and it looks incredible. And he has an interesting discussion in this. He tells them a little bit about how he made it, and he used, there's not a lot of flicker in the game, and there's a lot of stuff on the screen. It looks like he did like some really tricky things with playfield graphics to make more moving objects on the screen. Wow. I don't know how he did it, but there's a lot of vertical, there's a lot of vertical blank interrupts to do that magic. That's cool. Hey everybody, it's Bill from Atari Bytes. Every week on my show, I play a great old game, then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game. Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. What are you watching, Jeff? Um, watching. There was a, there, you know how they did Bandersnatch uh, yes. last year? I, I, I actually enjoyed that a lot. M- me too. So there's an unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt that is like that. But, and, um, and it's hilarious. Um, really? Is it on on Netflix now? Yes, on Netflix right now. It's fantastic. Okay. And it's a lot longer. And you get a full story out of it, which is pretty funny. Did you ever play the Bear Grylls one? There's a Bear Grylls one? Yeah, it's like a man versus wild. Like No, I need to try that. It was kind of fun. I, it's fun to die in it because you die a lot. Um, we're also finishing up Killing Eve, which is hilarious and fantastic at the same time. Probably. Made by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Oh, that's that's cool. Uh, other thing, I'm not doing as much TV right now. Um, I'm trying to uh, make some videos, and I spend a lot of time fixing that Atari 800, like souping it up, like as if it was my car. But I keep breaking it, just like as if it was my car, and I was trying to soup it up. <laughs> I'm me. keeping the 130XC intact and not touching it, so at least I have a machine to use. So I am watching. I'm trying to think. We finished Westworld, and oh, that was terrible. Oh my God, was Westworld just awful? Like, yeah, it's great. We, we won't have to. Pe- people, people can be excited because we won't dig up that Westworld story a third time for no, next season. The Westworld, not for next season, <laughs> that's for sure. I promise to only dig up those stories t- once, once each, once each. <laughs> yeah, to redo them, redo them a second time once. I mean, or it depends. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a reason to do it again. But I try, try not to. I couldn't, I couldn't pass it up then, and then I was kind of so disappointed. That one's also a tribute to the old town mall. So. It is. It is. But I mean, the, the TV show was terrible. And haven't, I'm trying to think, are we, did we watch anything else? My wife wanted to see the Trolls movie, so we watched that, the new Trolls movie on Amazon. And that was, that was, um, that was interesting, the Trolls movie. God, watching, nothing. I, I don't think I've been watching. Yeah, I haven't been, yeah. I mean, um, not much. It's, it's been a lot of, I, we, you know, I think in the last week or so, doing a lot on the website and the, and the look and feel you know, our branding and stuff like that. And I haven't watched much. What about playing? Um, a lot of Atari 8-bit games for videos, for cartridges, for things like that. Um, I oh, had yeah, a 70, that's right. A 70, people should a video, go watch our YouTube channel yeah, to see all those. They should. I had one on 700 homebrew cartridges, 
which um, awesome. I, I figured out. I've now figured out how to plug it. The um, I have an, a device that will allow me to plug anything with an AV cable into my laptop and record it, which is great because I don't have to point a camera at the TV. ST, I still don't have a way to do it, so I think from now on I'll make I'll play the ST games on the SCE, but I'll record them on the computer so you get a much better look at the screen. But the one thing is on that. I don't like the sound that comes out of that. I love the sound that comes out of my speakers uh, when hearing yeah. in the camera. It sounds so much deeper and richer. But anyway, so I did one. On, I did an ST video. I did one on some eight bit games. I did one on some seven hundred games. So those are up there now. I'm cool. working on more. I have been playing almost exclusively PES uh, Soccer 2020 on the PlayStation 4. Last week, I, you know, on like the second or third difficulty level, I won the World Cup, which was great. And then I kind of got bored, so I decided I'd play some online soccer games against random people. And I don't know why I keep doing it, because it's just, it's just punishing. I'm just, I'm just punishing myself by doing that. Usually what happens is I get down two or three goals, and then I just start slide tackling and getting red cards <laughs> until my team is down to like seven guys. At that point, the game's called when you get down to seven guys. I, I don't know. I've actually never got to the point where the game is called. So I don't know how far you have to go. I think last game I lost three. So, I mean, it's not really seven. I guess that would be 11. Um, yeah, that's eight. So we'll see what happens. Remember when, I play when the U.S. Tonight. played Italy and they were down? They kept on, like, the, the referee kept on calling. It was in the World Cup. But it was World Cup 2006. And the referees kept on calling, like, terrible calls on them. And they got down to, like, against Italy – they had nine they, guys, isn't it? They had nine guys. First it was like, then Italy got, so it was, first it was like eight on 11 first. Like they had seven field players. Then finally an Italian guy gets kicked out for finally his like ninth slide, crunching slide tackle. And then the U.S. scores a goal to tie up the game and they call it back because like someone was standing near the goalie. He wasn't offside. He was just impeding. It was like, no, he wasn't. It was just, anyway, sorry. I was just that's, a, that's that sort of international refereeing that drives this is why Americans don't like soccer. Soccer, I get it. Because here's here's what I think. Americans like their games to be fair. So I mean like football has not only do they stop the time every like seven seconds or something, and they have instant replays, you know, and they and they and they zoom in and then you know everything's done down to the millimeter. They want it to be fair. And soccer, as much as I love it, and don't get me wrong, it's my favorite sport. It's fantastic. But, oh, my God, is it so subjective and not fair? It all and, seems to be run by, like, a third – some third world organization. Yeah, and so I can see why people watch it. Like, it's exciting to watch. But, boy, is it frustrating. Because I'll tell you, playing PES, I swear to God, the computer cheats. I swear getting down to the end of the game – I get I just touch someone from behind and get a yellow, yellow card. The computer slide tackles are and nothing. The computer plays like an international referee is what I'm saying. And also, I mean, I don't like to harp and keep harp on soccer, but like U.S. players in general. Jeff, we harp on soccer because we love it. We're not yeah, harping harp on soccer on it. like it's not a sport. Like I am um, harp, harp on the 80s. In general, U.S. players – play soccer the way they would play baseball or football and guess what that's why we can't win it's not like women playing soccer who the american women taught the rest of the world how to play soccer 
our men play soccer as if it's an American sport where there's rules and it's fair and referees <laughs> call it the same way every time and there's no diving and people make fun of people for di- all those things that we liked about watching American soccer that suddenly on the world stage you see some guy someone brushes by him and he falls five feet and they call a red card on a guy who was like standing at the other goal and you're all what those are the things that people hate about it and I hate that about it too it reminds me of seeing the movie breaking away and having the Italians put the you know the 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 bicycle pump into into the guy's tire yeah like okay okay I love watching international bike racing but when it comes when push comes to shove americans want stuff to be fair and and i think that's a bad thing but it's no, in not some ways in some ways it's naive to how the world works um, but our anyway, sport wow. is naive because our sport is all about entertainment you know what i mean so na- naivety comes into it right yeah. like people are naive let's get into one other thing this uh, there's one other thing i've been watching the thing about um 10 episodes about Michael Jordan and the Bulls. It's freaking awesome. It's called The Last Dance. It's about the final season of the Bulls, but it shows Michael Jordan's in total career. And it was at a time when we were ignoring the Bulls and just watching the Lakers who were sucked. So I never watched any of this. I didn't know any of it, right? So you see things where, like, the league at the time, it's the same thing. People wanted things to be fair. It's the same thing. It's like anytime there's any imbalance of stuff, the fairness had to be re come back and it was anyway it, you know you don't americans want things to be fair even if even if fairness to them just means this entertainment or pro wrestling that they know that it's not fair they know it it's not matter. but it's still fair everybody gets a chance to pretend yeah i think you're even, right even they're all getting hurt i mean this is the anyway okay so yeah um no i haven't watched a lot of pro wrestling either so i'm um, not reading anything right now which is really sad i hate to even say that out loud not reading anything but I, I, well, I'm reading a book my boss gave me to read about management. It's actually really good. It's by a Navy SEAL, and it's it's great. But it's not. I'm not reading it for myself. But it's it's actually a pretty good book. Me reading no Atari ST action magazines. Every once in a while, I drop, I pull out my the Atari Visual History 8-bit computer book that we got from um, from Gray Fox because there's a lot of games in there that I've never played before. So I'll take them out, take a look at it, and see if it's the start of a new video. You know, stuff like that. But Cool. I'll also take a look at Karen's book, too, and see, because both of them have games that I have never tried before. So. Now, here's the big question, Jeff. Programming. Are you programming anything yet? Okay. So I decided to pull out the Atari ST Stoss books and take the Stoss book that they came with it and, and throw away all the chapters on sprites and start trying to figure out how to use the pre-rolled sprites. And the, the there's a couple other plugins that were done done with it that allowed you to make better games with it and i did some demos and i ran some of the demos and it all worked like on every setup and it's all working fine the one thing i can't figure out is how to use the control break key or control c key in emulation so it'll break the program when it's running so that got me like that part didn't work and i got frustrated you might not be able to use a key but you might have like a menu option check out the menu to see if there's a menu that might be i know when you turn off that you have to turn off the, the joystick emulation in some cases somewhere and it works and I gotta figure that part out but but yeah there's a um there's a, a couple stoss extensions uh, one called misty and there's a stoss extension called missing link and it basically is the these guys in uh, like 1990 or something rewrote 
all of the things they didn't like about Stoss into an extension, and then they redid <laughs> it. So it uses basically they, they it's the closest you'll get to using even C, even between uh, compiled C and compi and any compiled language, including GFA Basic. It's the closest you're going to get to making an assembly language game without using assembly language. Basically. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Okay, that's so I want to cool. get your stuff for for the into the void and start trying to do it with Stoss. Well. And as Into the Void goes, I've, I've added, um, I'm doing some star backgrounds. I'm figuring out how to do waves of enemies. Um, I added some sounds that I've been generating. Um, I also had an idea for another game. I, I realized that Outlaw never came out for the 7800. I was trying to think of how could I make, how could you make Outlaw fun on the 7800? Because I love Outlaw. It's a great two-player game. How do you make a better two-player game on the 7800? based on outlaw so anyway i was thinking about that i don't i don't want to get i don't want to get consumed by that because i want to finish the other game first but i'm just well, thinking about i do it. i know how to make it but cool I, I can think of ideas where for you need to pick up other guns yeah um, i could get see like a, you can get like a machine gun that you blow away pieces of the of the uh, gatling gun i mean there's other things you could do you don't have to model them in perfect graphics or anything like that but i mean you pick up other things you pick up some you pick up uh, emergency kits if you get hit once you can pick up emergency kit you could have per because you can use multiple sprites to make your your sauce your character if they get hit in the leg you know they get hit in the leg so they limp a little bit and you have to get an emergency kit to i'm just thinking of stuff a like that side by side split screen scrolling game where you have to you're you're in sort of a western maze and you have to go find the other guy so um that's our news update, which is really called filler because we are working on editing <laughs> well, other things. Yeah, we got other episodes coming up. We got two interview episodes, and we got a bunch of stuff going up on the website and the um, and the uh, we got a bunch of stuff going up on the website and the YouTube channel. That that will be also you know also working on stories about Breakout and Chris Crawford and some other ones that just are taking lo are longer you know term things to yeah. uh, to get done. So. So after the weekend, uh, we have some more updates for this podcast, and here we go. So Jeff, um, the first thing is you uh, did a video of the new version of Robotron for the VCS. So t tell me about that. Yeah, Champ Games, uh, which has a pretty long list of new games they're creating, including Zookeeper, which, which looks awesome, and a new baseball game for the 2600. Just came out last week. Zero Page Homebrew got an exclusive, and then they released it on Sunday for the public, a public ROM of Robotron uh, running on the 2600. And I swear that you, this looks, I guess, right on the 7800. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, the nuances are all there of playing Robotron. It's everything that you'd want from Robotron. In fact, they have a multiple different control schemes so they have one where you use two joysticks then they have one where you use one joystick and it just fires in the direction you're going which would be like the standard way you do it with one joystick and they have another one that's really interesting where it'll continue firing in the direction you were firing until you press the button and move it to another direction so you can actually run in one direction and fire behind you if you needed to for instance so it's really good and we have a video up and in fact there's like a video up on zero page homebrew there's the videos everywhere arcade usa but we have one up 
where I play through it four or five times and I finally make it to level five. There's at least nine levels in this demo. And level five suddenly has the guys with the big brains. It's oh, hilarious. Cool. But it's, it's really good. Now, one thing I noticed, and we were talked about this a little bit, why zero page homebrew records everything at 60 frames a second and they want to show it that way well i found a way around that but also understand why they do it so the way champ games does things is every other frame they are actually displaying something different so on each frame when you played at 30 frames a second you see a full image but it's actually programmed to run at 60 frames a second so your eye is tricked into seeing everything on the screen at once. So only half the image is displayed on every frame. And that's how they're able to, one of the ways they're able to get so much stuff on the screen at once. The first time I recorded this off of both my 7800 into the laptop and off of my 2600 emulator Stella, I recorded it at 30 frames a second. And this happened when I recorded Galagon 2 and I didn't understand it. Now I do. That it, it, you miss half the frames. Like it looks kind of weird. Like it's kind of jittery, especially tech. So I found an option in um, OBS to record at 60 frames a second. That looks great. And when you put it in your video and you mix it down to 30 frames a second, it looks fantastic. So you actually have to record it at 60 frames a second and mix it down to 30 so it all melds in together and looks right. Anyway. Well, that's cool. Um, I did play it myself. I, I've, I, I'm really excited by it. it, it the, the sounds themselves and some of the, you know, the, the in-between level of graphics and stuff are exactly what you'd want. The nuances you want from a game like that. I was looking at Atari Age just this morning and saw the guy who was building a Dragon's Descent and Dragon's Cache for 7800 is now building a game called Dragon's Havoc. And it is a horizontal scrolling shooter. Ooh. And it looks really good. He's got parallax scrolling. Is there a video um, of it up? There's a video of it up, yes. He's got parallax scrolling. He's got uh, waves of enemies. It's the exact type of stuff I want to do for Into the Void. So I'm really excited by it. And it seems like I could maybe pick up a few tips on how to actually get it done from that thread. So is it I'm, in the I'm programming excited. section or is it on It is in the programming section. It's a 700 programming section. Dragon's Havoc. Teaser gameplay shoot 'em up in progress. Ooh, look exactly. at all those colors. Yeah, it looks it looks really good. Okay, I'll take so, a look at that afterward. What happened this weekend, Steve? Oh, yeah. We um we party crashed the Atari Party East, a couple West Coasters. Well, actually, when it is, it is the virtual Atari Party on the Atari Party East Facebook group, and anybody can join. So um, Bill Lang was really uh, nice and let um, us in, and it was a very interesting about two and a half hours of Atari stuff, mostly focused around the 8-bit and the ST, a little bit on other subjects. Peter Fletcher was in there. He did some demos in GFA Basic that he's been showing on Facebook, I mean, on Twitter that we've seen. Bill Lang did a bunch of um, uh, Cayenne Pascal demos. Jason Moore came in and showed the pill, how you would copy cartridges back in the day. Very interesting. Rob McMullen, who has his own podcast, uh, he has not been doing it very often, but it's on the Atari Beat Computers. He showed his Omnivore demo 2.0, which Omnivore is like a, one of the sector editors that we had on the Atari 100 on super steroids. Like you can see everything that's going on and you can basically debug programs that are running on a system. 
So he's using it to build new levels for Jumpman but in, and other things. It's actually really cool. Michael Sternberg came on. He did a, a show and tell from Computer Shopper Magazine and then showed off Starfleet, uh, a really, really interesting game that is hard to find. It only came out here in the U.S. in a few places. and but I remember it. Come out. And then later on, there's many more Starfleets that came out on the PCs. But it turns out one of the first ones was on the Atari 100. I didn't even know that. Um, I was going to show the 2600 Robotron demo live, but it didn't exist yet. So instead, I went through Homesoft disk number 451, which is the next video I'm going to create and put up. It is an incredible collection of new games from 20 from this year. Just all everything, all of them are fantastic. Those are for the 8-bit, Atari 8-bit. For the Atari 8-bit, yes. Uh, and then we had an open discussion, a little bit about assembly language, then FujiNet was awesome. Um, a little bit on the, the uh, 1020 plotter pens, the new pens. Then Kay Savitz came in and showed off. It's just a huge amount of stuff that he received from the guy he did an interview with who used the Atari 800s to control the video and the uh, TV screens in the hotel rooms. And then he, they came, the guy sent him uh, Atari 800 XL and it didn't really work. The keyboard didn't really work. So I bought it off him so that I can use that XL as the housing for the XL that I broke. So I can use all, cap, either cannibalize all the pieces or pull pieces out of my other one and make it work again. And that was about it, but it was really good and long discussion and it was really fun and everyone was really nice and we had a good time. So hopefully there'll be more of those. Well, let's, let's, um, let's talk about it before it happens next time so that other people can join <laughs> if they want to. Um, yeah, I think that last time I didn't really know about it until after our episode went live on last Wednesday, on Thursday, I think I got an email about it. And so I was like, oh, okay. So yes, and next time we will say it, tell it beforehand or we'll promote it on our Twitter. Cool. Well, that's our news update. Hey, Jeff, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to see you next. Oh, you're going to see me in the vertical links. I mean, literally, because we haven't actually seen each other in like 12 weeks. So No, um, I was actually, and I actually couldn't even... Okay, none of our cars are working at the moment. So it turns out one of the cars just doesn't work because there's no gas in it which means I have to have someone towed mm -hmm. to a gas station. Uh, but And the other one doesn't work because the battery doesn't work. Yeah, I'm just, that's what I have to do. Right now, right now, I'm gonna go drive. I'm gonna make my first adventure to Costco in like three months. And one of the reasons is so I can drive my car and make sure that the battery doesn't die for a second time. Do they have the jerky there? I don't know, we'll find out. Okay, let me know. Uh, we well, Literally, I'll, I'll see you in the vertical blank. Yes, I'll literally see you on the vertical mic. If you turn on your camera, you can see me right now. But, uh, no, I don't want to waste bandwidth. Save bandwidth. No one needs to. No one needs to see my me on no camera. One, no one needs to see that. Okay, in in that case, um, our next episode is going to be an interview with John Williams, uh, nice. who has made um, some great Atari eight bit games back in the day. Worked on the Commodore C sixteen. Commodore 64, in fact, almost every platform all the way up until now, I think up until about seven years ago when he retired. And he has some great Atari information. We, we, do, we dive into some technical topics about the 800 and a little bit about the C16 because it's an interesting computer. But um, his first love is the Atari 800. And, um, and then um, after that, we have another interview coming up, Steve. What is that? That's with Steve Golson from GCC. But your next interview, that will be two weeks from today. So the next next Wednesday, as we as we start moving into a biweekly our, our uh, bi publishing. Because there's no way we can keep up a weekly version well, also, of this podcast. Also, um, people, the podcasts are getting, are getting lost in the shuffle. So yeah. we, we want to go 
uh, every other week so that they'll actually get time to breathe. Exactly. So, so um, uh, okay, well, sounds right, good. What? Yep, all right, I'll see you in the vertical blank. Okay, in the vertical blank. Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending.